Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about rheumatoid arthritis. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash RA or in the rheumatology section of the second edition of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune condition that causes chronic inflammation in the synovial lining of the joints, tendon sheaths and bursa. It's a type of inflammatory arthritis. Synovial inflammation is called synovitis. Inflammation of the tendons increases the risk of tendon rupture. Rheumatoid arthritis tends to affect multiple small joints symmetrically across both sides of the body. This pattern is described as symmetrical polyarthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis is around two to three times more common in women than in men. It most often develops in middle age, but it can present at any age. Smoking and obesity are risk factors. A family history increases the risk of rheumatoid arthritis, although there's no clear inheritance pattern. The most common gene associated with rheumatoid arthritis is HLA-DR4. The disease course varies between patients, from mild and remitting to severe and progressive. Disease activity, positive antibodies and erosions on an x-ray predict worse disease. Let's talk about antibodies. Rheumatoid factor is an autoantibody present in around 70% of patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid factor targets the FC portion of the immunoglobulin G. All antibodies or immunoglobulins have an FC portion that interacts with other parts of the immune system. Rheumatoid factor causes immune system activation against the patient's own immunoglobulin G, resulting in systemic inflammation. Rheumatoid factor is most often immunoglobulin type M, or IgM, but it can be other types of immunoglobulin. Anticyclic citrullinated peptide antibodies, or anti-CCP antibodies, are more sensitive and specific for rheumatoid arthritis compared with rheumatoid factor. Anti-CCP antibodies are positive in around 80% of patients with rheumatoid arthritis. They often predate the development of rheumatoid arthritis and indicate that a patient will develop the condition at some point. Let's talk about the presentation. The speed of onset can vary from rapid, for example overnight, to gradual, for example over the course of months. The three joint symptoms are pain, stiffness and swelling. Rheumatoid arthritis typically causes symmetrical distal polyarthritis affecting the small joints of the hands and the feet. The most commonly affected joints are the metacarpophalangeal or MCP joints, the proximal interphalangeal or PIP joints, the wrist and the metatarsophalangeal or MTP joints in the foot. 
On palpation of the joints, there will be tenderness and synovial thickening, giving the joints a boggy feeling. A tom tip for you, rheumatoid arthritis very rarely affects the distal interphalangeal joints. Enlarged and painful distal interphalangeal joints are more likely to represent Hebbedens nodes due to osteoarthritis. Large joints such as the ankle, knee, hips and shoulders can also be affected. It can affect the cervical spine in the neck but not the lumbar spine in the lower back. So lower back pain is unlikely to be related to rheumatoid arthritis. Associated systemic symptoms include fatigue, weight loss, a flu-like illness and muscle aches and muscle weakness. A tom tip for you, inflammatory arthritis symptoms are worse with rest and improve with activity. They are worst in the morning. Symptoms of mechanical problems, for example osteoarthritis, are worse with activity and improve with rest and they're worst at the end of the day. Next let's talk about palindromic rheumatism. Palindromic rheumatism involves self-limiting episodes of inflammatory arthritis with pain, stiffness and swelling typically affecting only a few joints. The symptoms last days, then they completely resolve. Joints appear normal between episodes. Rheumatoid factor or anti-CCP antibodies may indicate that it will progress to full rheumatoid arthritis. Next let's talk about hand signs in advanced disease. In patients with advanced rheumatoid arthritis, the hand signs include a Z-shaped deformity to the thumb, a swan neck deformity with hyperextended proximal interphalangeal joints, and flexed distal interphalangeal joints, a boutonnier deformity which involves hyperextended distal interphalangeal joints and flexed proximal interphalangeal joints, and an ulnar deviation of the fingers at the MCP joints or the metacarpophalangeal joints. Boutonnier deformity is caused by a tear in the central slip of the extensor components at the proximal interphalangeal joint or PIP joint. The central slip connects to the middle phalanx at the proximal interphalangeal joint and the lateral bands go around the proximal interphalangeal joint and connect to the distal phalanx. If there's a tear in the central slip, when the patient tries to straighten their finger, the lateral bands pull on the distal phalanx causing the distal interphalangeal joint to hyperextend and the proximal interphalangeal joint to flex. A swan neck deformity is the opposite of Boutonnier's deformity. It's caused by an extensor mechanism imbalance causing flexion of the DIP joint and extension of the PIP joint. A tom tip for you, effective treatments mean it's unusual for rheumatoid arthritis to get to the stage of having severe hand signs. However, it's worth becoming familiar with these examination findings as they make great patients for OSCEs. Next let's talk about atlantoaxial subluxation. Atlantoaxial subluxation occurs in the cervical spine in the neck. 
synovitis and damage to the ligaments around the odontoid peg of the axis, or C2, allows it to shift within the atlas, or C1 vertebra. Subluxation can cause spinal cord compression, and this is an emergency. This needs to be considered when a patient is having a general anaesthetic and requires intubation. MRI scans can be used to visualise changes in these areas as part of the pre-operative assessment. Next let's talk about the extra-articular manifestations. There are many extra-articular manifestations of rheumatoid arthritis and these include pulmonary fibrosis, Velti syndrome, which is a triad of rheumatoid arthritis, neutropenia and splenomegaly, Sjogren syndrome, with dry eyes and a dry mouth, anemia of chronic disease, cardiovascular disease, eye manifestations, rheumatoid nodules, which are firm, painless lumps under the skin, typically on the elbows and the fingers, lymphadenopathy with enlarged abnormal lymph nodes, carpal tunnel syndrome, amyloidosis, bronchiectasis, bronchiolitis obliterans, which is where there's small airway destruction and airflow obstruction in the lungs, and Kaplan syndrome, which involves pulmonary nodules in patients with rheumatoid arthritis that are exposed to coal, silica or asbestos dust. Eye manifestations related to rheumatoid arthritis and its treatment include dry eye syndrome, which is also called keratoconjunctivitis sicca, episcleritis, scleritis, keratitis, cataracts secondary to steroid treatment, and retinopathy which can occur secondary to hydroxychloroquine treatment. Next let's talk about making the diagnosis. The NICE clinical knowledge summaries updated in 2020 recommend an urgent rheumatology referral for patients with persistent synovitis to be seen within three weeks. They suggest considering non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and baseline blood tests whilst awaiting specialist assessment. The investigations that help in the initial assessment are rheumatoid factor, anti-CCP antibodies, inflammatory markers such as C-reactive protein or CRP and erythrocyte sedimentation rate or ESR, x-rays of the hands and feet for bone changes and an ultrasound or MRI can be used to detect synovitis which is useful when clinical findings are unclear. The diagnosis is based on clinical findings and blood results. The American College of Rheumatology slash European League Against Rheumatism classification criteria from 2010 can be used to make the diagnosis. Let's go through the x-ray changes. The key x-ray changes are periarticular osteopenia with thinning of the bones around the joint, bony erosions, soft tissue swelling, and joint destruction and deformity in more advanced disease. Next let's talk about the scoring systems. The Health Assessment Questionnaire or HAQ measures functional ability. 
The NICE guidelines updated in 2020 recommend a baseline HAQ score at diagnosis, which can then be used to compare to HAQ scores later on to assess the response to treatment. The Disease Activity Score 28 Joints, or DAS28, score is used in monitoring disease activity and response to treatment. And this involves assessing 28 joints and assigning points for swollen joints, tender points, and also points for ESR and the CRP result. Next, let's talk about management. Treatment involves the multidisciplinary team, which will include rheumatologists, specialist nurses, GPs, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, psychologists, and podiatrists. Starting treatment early improves the outcomes. The aim is to induce remission or get as close to remission as possible. The C-reactive protein and the DAS28 score are used to monitor the success of treatment. Short-term oral or intramuscular steroids may be used at the initial presentation when initiating a new treatment and during flares to help settle the inflammation and control the symptoms quickly. Long-term treatment is with conventional disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, or DMARDs, and biologic DMARDs. This might be with monotherapy with methotrexate, leflunamide, or sulfasalazine, combination treatment with multiple DMARDs, or biologic therapies, usually alongside methotrexate. Hydroxychloroquine may be used in mild disease and in palindromic rheumatism. Hydroxychloroquine is considered the mildest DMARD. Other conventional DMARDs include azathioprine, cyclosporin, cyclophosphamide, and mycophenolate. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are helpful for pain relief, but they have associated risks and side effects. Pregnancy can improve symptoms, but some pregnant women experience a symptom flare. Hydroxychloroquine and sulfasalazine are considered the safest DMARDs in pregnancy. Extra folic acid is required when patients are taking sulfasalazine. Methotrexate and leflunamide are very harmful in pregnancy or teratogenic. Biologic therapies interact with the immune system to reduce inflammation by targeting various aspects of the immune system. Biologic therapies include tumor necrosis factor or TNF inhibitors, for example adalimumab, infliximab, etanercept, golimumab, and sertolizumab, monoclonal antibodies that target CD20 on B cells, for example rituximab, anti-interleukin-6 inhibitors, for example zarilumab and tocilizumab, JAK inhibitors, for example apadacitinib, tofacitinib and baricitinib, and T-cell co-stimulation inhibitors, for example, abatacept. Tumor necrosis factor, or TNF, is a cytokine involved in stimulating inflammation, and blocking TNF reduces inflammation. 
A Tom tip for you, the main biologics to remember are adalimumab, infliximab and etanercept, which are the TNF inhibitors, and also rituximab, which is a monoclonal antibody that targets the CD20 proteins on the surface of B cells. Biologics cause immunosuppression, increasing the risk of infection, certain cancers, for example skin cancer, and reactivation of latent tuberculosis. Orthopedic surgery used to be an important aspect of management when joint deformities developed in rheumatoid arthritis. However, the DMARDs and biologics have dramatically reduced the number of patients that are getting to the stage of needing surgery. Finally, let's go through some notes on medications. Methotrexate interferes with folate metabolism and suppresses the immune system. It's given once a week. Folic acid, 5 mg, is also taken once a week on a different day to the methotrexate. Side effects of methotrexate include mouth ulcers and mucositis, liver toxicity, bone marrow suppression and leukopenia or a low white blood cell count and it's highly teratogenic or harmful to pregnancy and it needs to be avoided before conception in both women and men. Leflunamide is an immunosuppressant medication that interferes with the production of pyrimidine. Pyrimidine is an important component of RNA and DNA. Side effects of leflunamide include mouth ulcers and mucositis, increased blood pressure, liver toxicity, bone marrow suppression and leukopenia or a low white blood cell count. It's teratogenic, meaning harmful to pregnancy and it needs to be avoided before conception in both women and men. And peripheral neuropathy. Sulfasalazine is an immunosuppressive and anti-inflammatory medication. The exact mechanism of sulfasalazine is not clear. The side effects include orange urine, reversible male infertility due to a reduced sperm count and quality of sperm, and bone marrow suppression. Hydroxychloroquine is traditionally an anti-malarial medication and it suppresses the immune system by interfering with toll-like receptors, disrupting antigen presentation, and increasing the pH inside the lysosomes of immune cells. Side effects of hydroxychloroquine include retinal toxicity, specifically macular toxicity which causes reduced visual acuity, blue-grey skin pigmentation, and hair lightening or bleaching of the hair. A final Tom tip, the unique side effects worth remembering are methotrexate, bone marrow suppression and leukopenia and that it's highly teratogenic. Leflunamide causes hypertension and peripheral neuropathy. Sulfasalazine causes orange urine and male infertility. It reduces the sperm count. Hydroxychloroquine causes retinal toxicity, blue-grey skin pigmentation and hair bleaching. Anti-TNF medications cause reactivation of tuberculosis. And rituximab can cause night sweats, 
and thrombocytopenia. So thanks for listening to this very long and detailed episode on rheumatoid arthritis. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast, and I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about psoriatic arthritis.